Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin. Uh, Today we want to discuss the events surrounding a friend of this program, uh, Tony Esselin, who's professor at Providence College in Rhode Island and has recently found himself at the center of a storm. Tony will be known to many of you as a man who's written a couple of excellent books on how to bring up children. Uh, he's also translated Dante's Divine Comedy into English with, I think, some of the greatest notes, most helpful notes, if you, if you want to read that poem in its entirety. But he's also been a very outspoken critic of the contemporary culture of political correctness and the stifling of debate in the name of a rather conformist view of diversity. Recently, Tony wrote a couple of articles for the Catholic magazine, Crisis, which describes itself as a voice for the Catholic laity. One of them, September 26, was entitled, My College Succumbed to the Totalitarian Diversity Cult. And the second one, October the 20th, was, What Will You Do When the Persecution Comes? In the first, he criticizes the growing conformity and the growing closing down of free speech, even on faith-based campuses. And in the second, he really issues a clarion call for Catholics to be Catholics, to act and behave consistently with their faith. Now, obviously, mortification of spin, this is not a, a Roman Catholic program at all. We are confessional Protestants. But many of the principles that Tony articulates and many of the issues that he's facing are going to be issues that Christians across the confessional spectrum face in the next five or 10, 15 years. So we wanted to spend some time today talking about the problems affecting Tony Esselin and the issue of diversity. What's happened is that these two articles have been seized hold of by a number of campus activists at Providence College, and now there is a campaign being waged to get Tony either closed down or, worst-case scenario, removed from his faculty position. Guys, what do you think of this? You know, it's so ironic that uh, a Catholic cannot actually be a Catholic in a Catholic university. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, the the irony is just just deep there. But, uh, you know, Tony Esselin was not writing anything that is not thoroughly consistent with Roman Catholicism, and yet now it has turned into, as you said, a a storm that he is in the middle of. And all that he was warning about in those two articles has come to fruition in his own experience. Yeah, I mean, as we're talking here about spin, you know, or the mortification of spin, what is it that he's actually done, and and does, does he actually argue against true diversity? I mean, you can see in his articles that he values all people. Right. And, and, and one of the mistakes I think he makes, mistakes meaning a mistake in the eyes of the left and, and what he's facing, is that he actually praises Western civilization. He, mm-hmm. He's actually confident that, that Western 
history, Western civilization, Western literature, etc., has something very positive to contribute to other cultures. And, of course, that's a damnable mistake, isn't it? Mm. Yes. I mean, the irony is that the very context in which these kind of debates are taking place has only been made possible by Western culture. Right. Yeah. They're not mm. having these sort of debates in North Korea uh, at the moment. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. And Tony, I think, also puts his finger on the issue that so much of diversity today is driven by lobby groups. This mm-hmm. is a point, of course, that the, the feminist uh, critic uh, Camille Paglia has been making for 30 years now, that it's powerful lobby groups that are determining which identities are legitimate and which are not. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a great line in his first article when he's talking about the diversity page at Providence yes. College. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, I notice also on that same diversity page that we are supposed to commit ourselves to welcoming the alphabet soup of cheered on sexual proclivities. For some reason, that does not include F for fornicators or S for <laughs> swingers or P for pornographers or W for sex workers, formerly called harlots, or A for adulterers. No <laughs> political lobby for those, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think he absolutely right. nails it there that yes. so much modern micro identity politics is being driven by powerful vested interests in the fragmentation of human identity along lines which they themselves determine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so diversity uh, has to do really almost exclusively with exotic sexual proclivities, skin color, but nothing at all to do with actually the way people think. And that is where uh, these uh, diversity uh, police fail to see their uh, their inconsistency is that the right, pressure, it's very ironic. <laughs> yeah, the pressure is tremendous to think uh, the, same the same way. So that this tenured professor who's been at Providence, I believe, for over 20 years, who has quite a good track record of academic respect and achievement, by simply challenging what he sees, I believe, quite accurately as the marginalization that is happening to those who challenge some of these doctrines of uh, diversity. Well, well, it's it's his own uh, experience is proving that what he wrote and what he warned about is completely accurate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a Catholic university, and, and we're talking diversity here. Well, true diversity is united from above. So he also has another great line about that diversity page in his first article saying, but there is no evidence on our diversity page that we wish to be what God called us to be, a yeah. committed and forthrightly Catholic school with life-changing truths to bring yeah. to the world, to everyone yeah. in the world, right. like every single person. I mean, the irony is that Esalen is really in trouble here for wanting to be a Catholic right. at a Catholic school. Right. Uh, right. And that's what's really got him into, into difficulty at this mm-hmm. particular point. As he says elsewhere in one of the articles, you know, it would be absurd to ask if a secular professor at a secular university had a right to hold a secular view of marriage and sexuality. Of course they would. <laughs> but we're talking here of a, of a Catholic school. Yeah. Uh, right. I am not offended by my Roman Catholic friends, Roman Catholicism. Right. right. That's what I expect them to be. That's what makes them Roman Catholics. Right. And that, uh, that would be very diverse of you, Carl. Carl is a champion of diversity. What can we yeah. say? Um, I, I mean, I think some of, the, some of the origins of this, of course, lie in the fact that uh, we as parents, generally speaking of our generation, have brought up children in such an overly protected way that when they get to college, they're actually incapable 
of engaging in a civilized fashion with anybody who disagrees with them. For somebody to disagree with you on an issue is for somebody to demean you. That's how they're thinking. I've used this analogy in class. I say, you know, the fact that I regard my wife as the most beautiful woman in the world does not represent a criticism or an insult of the wives of anybody else represented here. It's okay to be who you are and to hold your beliefs. Uh, That doesn't necessarily involve you in denigrating other people as persons. And that point seems to be lost in our current cultural context. I know because true diversity is holding people up, all people, as made in the image of God. And what you're talking about, Carl, reminds me so much of what Rusty Reno was talking about in his book, uh, Resurrecting the Idea of a Christian Society. He talks about dissent as a rational argument rather than a condition to be diagnosed. Hmm. Yeah, yes. And I think we need to be careful that we don't become self-righteous about this on the conservative end of things, because I think this afflicts conservative bodies, maybe not to the same extent, but it does affect conservative bodies. It's amazing how often the language of tone is now Mm -hmm. creeping into conservative discussions about theological issues. I mean, we've all been on the receiving end of that in the last uh, six months or so. Mm -hmm. When the language of tone enters, then you're playing the modern aesthetic game. I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum. At that Mm -hmm. point, you're playing the modern aesthetic game. And with the measure you measure it out, it will be measured back to you. Yeah, you know, this this discussion about a Roman Catholic uh, professor at a Roman Catholic university uh, being opposed because he's Roman Catholic, uh, in essence, reminds me a bit, although to a lesser degree, because we don't have the same structures, but a bit of of the grief, for instance, someone might take for expecting Protestant theologians to be thoroughly Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, I, it shouldn't I, be a, a revolutionary yeah. request. Right. Yeah. I think we need to realize that, that, that engagement is engagement, debate is debate, and it can be robust and tough. And right. as soon as you start focusing on, on issues of tone or hurtfulness, really, that's a slippery slope. Right. That's a, you know, we talk about doctrinal slippery slopes. I think there are methodological and aesthetic slippery slopes as well. Indeed. And we have to, to hope that our friend Tony uh, survives this because – the campus social justice warrior context at the moment is is very very dangerous for right. anybody holding to traditional views. I heard Tony lecture last year, one of the most brilliant lectures I'd ever heard. There's no doubt that this man has a capacious intellect and that these students who are protesting him could actually learn an awful lot if they just mm-hmm. sat down and listened. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think they'd learn an awful lot from Tony because he's not a cross-burning Ku Klux Klan fanatic. <laughs> of course not. He's, he's, a, he's a polyglottic polymath. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. From whom I think uh, students are privileged, are privileged right. to learn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and for, for our own context, then, as evangelicals, as Protestants, confessional people, 
we, we see certain examples of this. Uh, is it last year, the year before, where Gordon College in, in Massachusetts found themselves also in the middle of a controversy just simply because the president released a statement that Gordon College essentially was still going to remain Christian. You know, when it comes to upholding biblical sexual ethics, they were they were going to still believe what Christians have believed for 2000 years. But because it came at a certain time, students on that historic evangelical campus were were up in arms over this terrible statement that the the president of their university had issued. Just again, Mm -hmm. basically, you could sum up what he said was, yes, Gordon College is still Christian. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the crazy part about it, because that's really where true diversity can come from, then, is the solidarity in, um, in truth. And so, like a Catholic university that is also going to uphold the image of God and all people, and therefore Christian morality um, and faith, that's where they're united, then, from above, yeah. not yeah. from... All their differences. Yeah, and we shouldn't expect university professors to uphold and teach and advocate that which is foolish and farcical, just to entertain uh, a bunch of uh, millennials who can't handle anybody disagreeing with them. And the right to dissent has disappeared. I think. Right. You know what we're witnessing is a a massive metaphysical shift in many ways. It's been going on for for generations now, but the whole notion of of human nature is at a discount. Uh, that yes. which unites us is now very slim and slight compared to that right. which divides us. Right. And unfortunately, we, we descend into, into the sort of the conformity of diversity, one might mm-hmm. say, right. yeah. uh, where the legitimacy of one's identity will really ultimately depend upon the power of one's political lobby group. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I heard somebody say one time, um, and I forget who it was, but basically explaining that, and, and this goes to the vehemence of the opposition from uh, out of the new sexual revolution. But, but when you know, and, and this goes back to Romans chapter one, when you know that you do not have God's blessing, then you demand to have man's blessing. Yeah. Mm. And and that is what we're we're seeing. We cannot deny the reality of Romans 1 here. The consciences of these people have been seared. They have exchanged truth for a lie. They know they don't have their maker's blessing and so they have to have the blessing of their fellow students, the blessing of the faculty, etc. And if they if they feel for a moment that they don't, the reaction is violent. Yeah. So here's here's the question then. Um, somebody might hear this and say, "Well, that's happening on the campus of a of a of a Roman Catholic college." Yeah. Um, I'm you know I, I'm an executive at a bank or I'm a school teacher at a yeah. at a public school in a conservative community. Um, wh- you know, what does this have to do with me? And actually, the answer is quite a lot. Yeah, I think what it has to do with you w- will become clear in coming years with the, you know. Title IX legislation, for example, on sexual discrimination. Once you allow all kinds of identities to claim privilege under, say, Title IX, everybody's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble at that point. We are going to see the notion of oppression being continuing to be highly psychologized, and we're going to see it hitting businesses, we're going to see it hitting schools, we're going to see it hitting any uh, agency that takes any kind of government money. It's coming. It it may well be with the the election of a couple of weeks ago that perhaps we've got four or maybe eight years where 
this kind of thing will not be pushed as rapidly as it might yeah. not have been. I think Donald Trump probably doesn't care one way or the other about it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's a good result on that level in this particular climate. Yeah. But I think this, because it involves a comprehensive redefinition of what it means to be a human person, that's what we're seeing going on at the moment. It will have implications for everybody right. if it continues unchecked. Right. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I've already read stories over the last two years of college sports programs demanding that um, all athletes across the board, whether you're a football player or a volleyball player, et cetera, there are now colleges and universities demanding that all student athletes um, sign a, a, a pledge of their commitment to diversity. And of course, it's all driven by this redefinition of, of, of human nature. So if you're a Christian on an athletic scholarship and cannot in good conscience sign what you know is contrary uh, to your faith, then what do you do at that yeah, point? Yeah. If you cannot advance in your career unless you desi- unless you sign off on certain documents that you know are geared towards the normalization of sexual immorality, then what yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's very mm. interesting to see whether this will be sustainable in the long run, but it goes again mm. to a comment I heard Michael Hanby, the Catholic philosopher, make recently. He said, you know, we're all Marxists now, mm. in the sense that everything is political. Yeah. Mm. Everything yeah. in life has been politicized, and mm. therefore... You know, running on a track team becomes a political activity right. that requires. Well, it's like, right. We exactly. have the separation of church and state, but not the separation of anti-church and state. Well, they're 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 seen as inimical um, to each yeah. other. I mean, they're and well, so um, I've I've been preaching through Philippians, and uh, one of the things you see is these. Uh, these citizens of this Roman city where there was a great deal of, of pride of place in Philippi uh, now find themselves out of step with the emperor and out of step with their their fellow Roman citizens. And Paul is quite, although it's a very joyful letter, there is this very sober undertone. He's writing it himself uh, from chains in Rome to Christians who are now going to be increasingly uh, marginalized, and he warns them in chapter two. Um, I believe it's verse fifteen. You know, be innocent, children of God. Generation. I, th- I think the same can be said for us today. I think it's naive if we continue on in the fantasy that we're not going to see an increasingly costly types of marginalization now for Christians. Yeah, I think that goes to the heart of what the church needs to be doing at this point, and that is, one level, we need to be doing what we've always done, word and sacrament, prayer, clear. But we also need to really be focusing on the idea of community, Mm. because the only way Mm. to survive this kind of tidal wave of cultural change Mm. is if we have robust communities uh, where our beliefs and our practices have plausibility, if I could put it that way, Mm. without wanting Mm. to relativize it, without wanting to reduce Christianity to just a a form of social practice. I think we need strong communities. Well, yeah, Rusty Reno kind of contrasted the organic living community versus the checklist Mm. of modern diversity, because it's really a checklist. Yeah, and I think if we offer people that, that's attractive. Yes. Clearly, mm-hmm. people aren't converted just by finding something attractive. They have to have faith and repent. But sure. I, I think the church but God uses will, means. God uses yeah, means. Yes. I mean, we had somebody come to our church yesterday, and it became clear to me from reports I heard later on, they were attracted yes. by 
not just by what went on in the service, but by the feeling that here was something of a community. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that the church really needs to zero, zero in on that. Yeah. Well, and again, back to, to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is warning them, you're in this wicked and corrupt and crooked generation. What does he go on to say? He says, in which you shine as lights. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and so, you know, Carl, you wrote an article recently, and again, where, what you just emphasized, the church just needs to continue to be the church. Mm-hmm. We don't have to redefine our mission, uh, perhaps sharpen it, perhaps be reminded of it. But what the church has originally been called to do is the very thing that people in our culture need right now. We need yeah. to shine as, as lights in this wicked and, and corrupt generation. Yeah. So, well, we're glad you uh, joined us today. And uh, please be thinking about uh, Tony Esselin. Um, I would say pray for him. I pray for him, first of all, that he'd become a Presbyterian. And, uh, <laughs> but what happens at Providence College matters to you matters to us and uh, let us heed Paul's encouragement to remain faithful in the generation in which we have been called to live and uh, and to be the people of God uh, we look forward to joining you next time I would encourage you to visit our website mortificationofspin.org and consider making a financial contribution we are a, a listener supported podcast and if there's anything you are able to do to help us we would uh, certainly appreciate that there's other good uh, resources on our website and we encourage you to visit that um, until we speak to you again this is mortification of spin Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Are good preachers born, or can you take anybody? and train them to be a good preacher. You know, there's a difference between teaching a class and, or, you know, even me, uh, me when I speak to an audience and then somebody who's preaching a sermon. What are, what are some of the common um, mistakes you see that young preachers make or, or maybe um, hindrances to them getting better? What are, what are some of the common things you see? It, it goes to just the, 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 the power of, of, of knowing your flock and how that helps you as a preacher. Yeah. That interview is next time. Join us then. sent the U.S. Army's transgender handbook a couple of weeks ago. Oh, man. Man, I've, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the purpose of the military is is to blow things up and to kill people. That, that's what the purpose of the military yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs>
Not anymore. It's to make sure that uh, Lieutenant Marty is, is comfortable <laughs> as she transitions, but accidentally falls pregnant at the same time. <laughs> so, right. Oh. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't actually true. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to believe that it, that these folks are actually serious. Yeah. 